to episode 13 of Jimmy D and Mr. B. I am Jimmy D. And I am Mr. B. And we're going to talk about some history. And Jimmy, it was my turn to pick the topic for this one after our wonderful Christmas episode. So I went for the first time with a bit of a true crime type Ooh. thing, which is not where we want to go as a podcast. No, I don't. I mean, look, there's plenty of excellent true crime podcasts out there. I mean, we'll give this one a whirl and see how it goes, but I don't think this will be the pattern for us in uh, down in the future. Yeah, like, we picked this one um, because it's a fun story, yeah. essentially. Like, this isn't like Ted Bundy going and hacking a bunch of, you know... Young women. Young women up. This is like... The story of D.B. Cooper, which is this mysterious sort of story set in the 1970s, which is definitely our most contemporary topic so far. Definitely. And it's almost more of like a cool heist movie rather than a scary crime movie. So um, definitely more about that. And I mean, as we'll talk through it, we're going to find out some pretty cool facts about what happened and how this mysterious man did what he did. Yeah. And we'll be back in like the old times soon. I'm sure we'll go back hundreds of years probably for our next topic. Definitely. Um, But it's something modern. It's the way we pick our topics is we kind of just go with the vibe that we're feeling at that point. And um, yeah, I was asking around at work a little bit like, hey, have you heard of DB Cooper? Not many had, but it's a story I've heard about quite a few times. What about yourself? Yeah, look, I've definitely heard of him pretty much through, like, your pop culture references through movies and TV shows, so I definitely knew who he was, and I definitely knew the rough story about him and what he did, but this obviously goes into a lot more information about it and didn't know how deep the rabbit hole kind of went with what he did. Yeah, when you say know who he was... D.B. Cooper's an alias. Yeah. So when we keep referring to D.B. Cooper... It's actually like an alias of an alias. Yeah. So it, essentially, yeah, go ahead. I mean, obviously, we'll talk about how it was his alias was actually Dan Cooper, but then it was misinterpreted by a journalist, I think, and then it became D.B. Cooper, which I think sounds actually way cooler. So I think we'll just continue with that. Yeah, it's a super cool name. So that's so he'll be D.B. Cooper from here on out. But um, it's a pretty long topic, so let's launch in, I think. Launch, like plane launch? Yeah. yeah. So essentially... We're going to talk about a plane hijacking here. So we're going to do a bit of a run-through of what happened. We're going to get into suspects, investigations. It's going to be a good time, Jimmy. It's going to be good. Um, Like I said, it's 1971 on the afternoon of November 24th, which is actually Thanksgiving Eve. A nondescript man calling himself Dan Cooper approached the counter of Northwest Orient Airlines in Portland, Oregon. He used $20 cash to buy a plane ticket um, bound for Seattle, Washington. Real cheap for a plane ticket. Wouldn't mind $20 to pay for a plane ticket now. Absolutely. It's a pretty short hop from um, Seattle, uh, from Portland to Seattle. Um, But yeah, a couple of hours flight normally for that. From this, though, began one of the great unsolved mysteries in American and FBI history, um, which was super fun to read about. So Cooper... He was outfitted in a business suit, a trench coat and loafers. Um, He entered the plane. And when we think of plane hijackings, we probably think of like violent attacks. Definitely. We both grew up in like, you know, the time we were, I was like 11 when the World Trade Center went down, things like that. Um, This is a fun story though, I think, because 
no one really got hurt from it, which is amazing. No, it was it was probably you could almost call it the most chilled hijacking in aviation history. Um, I mean, you see a guy coming on to a plane in a nice suit. You don't think hijacker. You think maybe he'll take me out for dinner later. Um, so I think that uh, the way he was dressed and the probably the way he approached people on the plane, which we'll talk about, was pretty what we haven't really seen from hijackers since that point. Yeah. Um, the plane itself was a Boeing 727. So I think when I first started reading, I thought it was going to be a little plane, but yeah. it was actually a massive commercial airline. Yeah, well, I think in pop culture as well, it's almost seen as like he's a, like in a smaller plane. So I was actually unaware that it was like a huge, pretty much big, big plane that heaps of people would have been on. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that was a, a surprise for me. Yeah, so this plane, it was only a third full uh, just 36 passengers on board. Again, would love if that was like that today. We pay yeah. 20 bucks and have all the leg room. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, as the plane was ready for takeoff, Cooper calmly ordered a bourbon and soda. Good drink. And uh, prepared for his heist. Apparently, he was a chain smoker as well. So back in the 70s, he's um, smoking darts, breaking hearts, looking <laughs> cool in his... Um, in his, t- in his uh, suit and um, sipping his bourbon and soda. So it's like, picture like Don Draper sitting on a plane. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Would not assume he's a hijacker either. Probably not. Um, shortly after the takeoff, Cooper handed a note to flight attendant uh, Florence Schaefner. She didn't think much of this. You know, in the 70s, I think there were pretty strict hiring policies on flight attendants. Like they <laughs> had to have certain measurements and be a certain level of attractiveness. Yeah. Um, she was probably pretty used to businessmen handing her notes yeah. on the plane. Um, and she didn't think much of it. She sort of stashed it in her back pocket, went about her business, um, thinking that he'd just sort of given her his phone number or yeah. something like that. Which which I'm sure would have happened many times in on uh, many flights. Yeah, but this was a serious one. Cooper leaned in towards her and whispered, Miss, you'd better look at that note. I have a bomb. She took the note out of her back pocket and that's... Exactly what the note said. Yeah. Um, the note hasn't been recovered, unfortunately, so we don't know what exactly was said there, but it was something along the lines of, like, I have a bomb. I wonder if she kept the note. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, I like, think it would be worth a lot now. Like, had I imagine, like, if she was still alive today, does she still have the note? That would be an amazing piece of history that, 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 that she has. Yeah, so the note apparently asked her to sit beside him, which she did, and she asked to see the bomb sort of confirm if that was the case. Cooper opened his briefcase, which was sitting next to him. She saw, you know, what she described as eight red cylinders um, attached to red wiring and a large battery. Sounds like a bomb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Cooper demanded that she write down what he told her. Yeah. So he demanded $200,000 in American currency he actually demanded it in $20 bills. Nice. As well, you know, easier to launder, I guess. Exactly. Um, 200 grand doesn't sound like a lot, but this is about 1.3 million in, yeah. 20, in 2020. I mean, you think about it, you probably could buy a house for like $20,000 back then or less. So, like, 200,000 was quite, you could do quite a lot with it. Yeah. Reading about ransoms and stuff at this time, though, I feel like he was like not that greedy with no. his demands. Yeah. Like, he could have easily asked, like, he had a plane full of, innocent people and the crew. He could have asked for pretty much whatever he wanted, but maybe he knew that this was like a gettable amount that he could definitely get and therefore escape with. So maybe he asked for a small amount on purpose. Yeah. So as well as the money, he asked for four parachutes, two primary and two reserve. 
and also asked for a fuel truck standing by in Seattle where they were to land to refuel the aircraft on arrival. Smart man. Yeah, he had a plan. Schaefer took the note to the pilot at the front of the plane, who then informed air traffic controllers of the situation. Um, the 35 other passengers on board were falsely told that landing in Seattle would be delayed due to mechanical difficulties, which I never want to hear no, on a plane. definitely not. Um, but it's probably better than a guy has a bomb. Yeah, a exactly. Plane. Yeah. Um, the president of the airline ordered the pilot and crew to follow his demands, which is a smart move meaning that basically the plane circled the airways around Seattle for about two hours um, after it sort of arrived there, which gave the time for the FBI to um, collect the ransom money and get everything together. Do their thing. During this time, Cooper was described by the flight crew on the plane, who were at this time all aware of the situation, unlike the passengers, as being like a really calm, nice dude. Yeah. I think that's strange when you think even, like, not even just in a plane hijacking situation, but any robbery situation, it's usually not a polite uh, affair. Like, usually they're screaming and yelling and they want people to get on the ground, but obviously he knew what he was doing, he wanted people to be calm, and maybe that's why it went so smoothly. Yeah. Um, Apparently he even ordered a second bourbon and soda. I mean, you're in the air waiting to land. It's another two hours to kill. Yep. Um, He paid his drink tab. He even apparently requested that when they landed in Seattle uh, as part of the ransom, the flight crew would be bought on some meals so (laughs) that they um, would get looked after. So he's not like your typical terrorist hijacker that we think of, unfortunately. More like a genius who just wanted his payday. Yeah. Um, During this time, uh, Cooper was saying things to the flight crew about the geographical area and about planes in general that kind of made them think he had pretty good knowledge. Yeah. Um, or, like, the planning, I think, was just top-notch. Yeah, I think he, he obviously put quite a fair bit of effort into this and hence why it went so uh, smoothly and probably why he was so calm. Yeah, so at 5.54 in that afternoon, uh, Cooper was informed that his demands had been let, uh, met and about 15 minutes later, the plane landed at uh, Seattle Tacoma Airport. It was more than an hour after sunset and Cooper instructed uh, the pilot to just, you know, taxi the jet into an isolated, brightly lit area. Apparently he had all the window shades lowered so that snipers couldn't see Smart. into the plane. Um, and he let all the passengers off once his money and parachutes had been given to him. Yeah. Um, except for four people. So obviously you still need a pilot, still need a co-pilot um, and... Also some flight crew members as well. But I think this is leverage, right? You still need yeah. hostages. Like, yeah, if you, obviously if you let everyone else off, they just would have stormed the plane. But he didn't have anyone there who didn't need to be there to uh, run the plane. So I think that was, I mean, again, clearly quite uh, different to any other hijacking that we've seen or a terrorist. Usually it's about they, they want to take out the most amount of people as possible and kind of uh, get what they want. So very different and obviously probably gave the FBI hope that this could end quite well. Yeah, so during the refueling of the plane, Cooper informed the remaining flight crew that um, they'd be flying towards Mexico. So um, Seattle's, like, right up in the northeast of... um, Northwest. Northwest. Sorry, of the United States, geography teacher. (laughs) Um, And obviously, you know, they're going to be flying pretty much directly south down to Mexico from there. Um, he wanted it done, though, at the lowest possible speed and, you know, the lowest safe flying altitude. Yeah. 
Um, and the crew actually informed Cooper, we can't make it all the way to Mexico without refueling again, so they're going to have to stop in Reno, Nevada yeah. on the way through. Um, but this was not necessary, yeah. as we'll get to. Um, once the plane with only five people was back up in the air, there were also five other planes trailing the 727. So these are like basically the Air Force. Yeah. yeah. Or like the National Guard or someone like that who would have had planes to follow. Which, yep. which, um, or even, I mean, I don't know at that time if the FBI had any planes, so it would have been interesting to know what, what was following him. Yeah, but they obviously want to know where they're going, and if someone wants to leave the airplane, they'd yeah. hopefully be able to um, know where they left the airplane and intercept it. A couple of hours later, the plane landed in Reno, Nevada, where it was scheduled to be refueled. Um, on landing, it got, everyone went in the, yeah. like all the authorities went into the plane and Rushed tried in. to save like, get Cooper, but there was no Cooper to be seen. He'd, he'd left. Yeah, so I think what happened was he got the flight crew to all go in the front cabin. Yeah. Um, and at some point during the flight, had left out the stairwell, basically. It opened one of the stair doors. Yeah. And had left the airplane. So, but, uh, like, as in he'd lowered the back of the, the aircraft and just jumped out. So it's amazing that the aircraft didn't see him, but I guess if it's the den of night... He could have escaped quite easily. Yeah, and none of these other planes saw Cooper come out the back. But like you said, it's dead of night. Um, it's raining as well, so probably not the clearest uh, skies to see. So, yeah, he's obviously planned this quite perfectly. Yeah, and it's about a 700-mile journey from Seattle to uh, Reno. And obviously could have hopped out at any point. Pretty much, yeah. There's a massive section of yeah. the country where... Cooper could have flown out the back. And you assume he did it as soon as it got dark. Any point from then on, he could have done it. Yeah. It um actually sounds like a perfect crime. Yeah, I mean, assuming he survived the the jump and whatnot, I mean, like you said, it was the den of night. It was heavy rain. Um, it would have been quite cold. I don't know what month or what month was it. I can't quite remember. But um, I Thanksgiving mean, is always like cold. Yeah, in yeah. So it's like yeah. so it's like journeying towards the, the the colder months. So I mean, if he survived. The probably the most perfect hijacking crime in history. Yeah, so the FBI searched the plane. Um, the only physical evidence they found was a black clip-on tie, eight cigarette butts and two parachutes. So only two parachutes were taken. You were telling me before your theory of why you wanted those extra parachutes? Yeah, so apparently one of the theories is that um, instead of asking for one parachute, which could have been tampered with, he asked for four, which maybe might have made the FBI think that he might have wanted to take some people with him, some hostages with him, so hence why he might have asked for four. Also, he might have wanted to put the money in one of the parachute bags and keep one for himself. So there's heaps of theories, but that one sounds pretty spot on with uh, how he ran uh, the, the the rest of his heist. Yeah, so the flight crew, they spent so much time with Cooper. They were able to give some pretty good descriptions of him. He was a white male, um, medium olive complexion, in his 40s probably. Yeah. Um, and, you know, around six feet tall with dark brown, black hair. Sounds like a good looking bloke. Sounds like a very good looking guy. Like this Don Draper vibe, yeah. as I mentioned before. Um, also to be fair, probably pretty similar to a lot of other people in America. So pretty like standard looks, like would have looked like a lot of white men in that time, I would imagine. Yeah. And when we talk suspects later, I think they all kind of look like him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, this led to um, an artist, you know, composite rendition 
being put out in the media and in newspapers. Um, it's a pretty iconic photo. I've definitely seen the photo plenty of times yeah. in references. Same. We'll put it on our Instagram, um, have a look. There's two. There's, like, one sort of colour and one with him, like, wearing these cool black glasses. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he looks like um, a very cool customer in those. Um, the FBI launched what would become one of the longest and most exhaustive investigations in their history that basically went till today. Which is insane to think because you think of all the criminals that we've heard of over the many years, especially since the 70s, and you think this was the one guy who they'd never been able to catch or possibly even know who it was. So I think that's amazing. You think of all the geniuses who have committed crimes over that time. This is the only guy who they couldn't find. Yeah. um, The investigation was known as Norjack, which is like... Northwest hijacking, which I just think is a cool name, Norjack. Um, Local police and FBI, they immediately got to work questioning subjects. The problem was from those descriptions and people in the area, there was about 800 initial suspects, including one of my (laughs) favourite initial ones, (laughs) a guy from that area that was actually named uh, D.B. Cooper. Yeah, Um, pretty unfortunate for him. Yeah, so this poor bloke had that name... um, so, obviously, the FBI questioned him on the off chance that he used his real name yeah. to hijack this plane. Um, but I think he was having Thanksgiving dinner with his family. Uh, yes, at the time. And, I mean, from what we've seen of how flawlessly this, this hijacking was planned, I don't think this person would be dumb enough to use their real name. Yeah. So, all but a few dozen of those 800 people were pretty much immediately ruled out. Like, yeah. this is... The night before Thanksgiving, most people probably with their families have pretty solid alibis, so pretty easy to go, yeah, not them, not them. Um, Yeah, like you can't be out hijacking planes all night without people noticing generally (laughs) around that time of year, around the holidays. Um, In this time, searching also began to find Cooper um, in some of that area that we talked about because they thought, well, he may be dead, he may be alive. Um, the parachutes and the money, maybe we'll be able to spot it. So they sort of surveyed a lot of the country. Yeah. Looking for, you know, parachutes, duffel bags, signs of someone that splattered on the mountains, um, things like that. But I mean, the interesting thing is where they thought he might have been, could have been way up because if it was windy, obviously parachutes back then didn't have the, uh, uh, like the steering. Yeah. The steering that they did do now. So he could have gone like. He could have been literally anywhere. He could have gone further inland. Like, it literally could have been nowhere near where they were even searching for him, which I think is really interesting as well. Yeah, and I think, like, a lot of, like, Mythbuster-style tests have been done with, like, you know, they drop, like, something human weight out yeah. of an aeroplane. I think even the slightest variable in plane speed means, like, you know, tens of miles, hundreds of miles in difference of landing zones. Exactly, yeah. So, very unsuccessful in scouring the land looking for that. Which, I guess, leads to the next bit. So, there's pretty much two trains of thought. I definitely have a preference of what I hope happened. Yeah, same as well. He either got away with it, and it may be a number of people. It may even be someone that we discuss in the suspects. Um, This is definitely the one I want it to be. Yeah, I mean, I think if someone got away with this... It's 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 really almost it's 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 an amazing feat to be able to do that, especially. I mean, we've seen how 
through movies and in real life how dangerous heists and hijacking can be. If he's pulled this off, he hasn't he hasn't used a gun, he hasn't killed anyone, he's gotten away safely and let all the hostages go. Like that's a win win for everyone, apart from the fact that he got away with two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. The other option is Cooper, who jumped out of a plane into two hundred kilometer an hour winds in the dead of night in a trench coat and a business suit and loafers um in a parachute that you couldn't steer splattered into a tree or a mountain somewhere and was never found um which is a much less fun theory yeah no i don't really like the sound of that one i'm i i would prefer the one where he uh runs away with his money yeah so let's get into what was the most fun researching and we were even like texting last night when i was doing the research like having disagreements yeah, exactly. about, about this, which I think makes it sort of fun. Um, there's a bunch of suspects and a bunch of wild stories of who did it. Every time I read one, I'm like, yep, this is the guy. Put him in. Yeah, so um, we've got a good number of them and um, I hope you enjoy this section. It's good fun. And I think we'll start with um, the first big suspect yeah. that came out of this. Richard Floyd. Yeah, so Richard Floyd McCoy was a helicopter pilot in the National Guard check as far as, like, being able to do that sort of stuff, right? Um, In 1972, which is a year after the Norjack heist, um, McCoy hijacked a plane using a pretty similar plan. Um, He managed to get 500k in ransom money, so maybe got a little bit more greedy. Um, And... He managed to do this using a fake grenade and pistol. So, like, a similar ploy, like, didn't actually use a weapon but made them think. I mean, and even with D.B. Cooper, was it a bomb that would actually could have gone off or did he just make it look like a bomb? Yeah, we'll never know. Yeah. Um, Police were tipped off after the heist as um, they... Someone at a diner spotted this person in, like, a jumpsuit... (laughs) Like a helicopter pilot jumpsuit with a duffel bag yeah. eating at a diner that was Richard um, Richard Floyd McCoy. And um, from then on, he became a massive suspect yeah. to the police for this hijacking. While he was off flying his helicopter, actually searching for himself, <laughs> like doing his day job, um, police checked his house while he wasn't home. And found a duffel bag with $499,970 in cash in there. So he'd only managed to spend 30 bucks. Yeah. Not a not what you'd call a big spend, but I mean I mean in terms of so far thing you see the guy doesn't seem to be quite as smart as the original DB Cooper, like just walking around in a jumpsuit with a big bag full of money doesn't really seem like a, 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 a smart guy. Yeah, and this is one of a number of copycat crimes that came from this. Obviously, the D.B. Cooper one was so successful that a lot of people would have tried yeah. on the same sort of tactics. As a result, um, Richard was sentenced to 45 years in jail for this second hijacking, um, where he was able to access a dentist's office and use dental paste to fashion another fake gun. <laughs> Um, he used that fake gun to escape from prison. And while I was reading this, I thought, has there ever been someone so successful in using a fake gun? Yeah, I don't think so, no. Like half a million dollars in 1970s cash. Yeah. Huge. And then he's just escaped from prison, like using like tools at like a dentist's office to escape from prison. That's ingenious. How has this not been made into a movie? Yeah. Um, (laughs) 
Unfortunately, again, he he doesn't seem like the smartest criminal, which is, again, why I don't think he's D.B. Cooper. Um, he ended up in a shootout with cops three days later. Um, they had real guns and he died. Yeah. Yeah. So he probably isn't D.B. Cooper. Um, he didn't really match up physically to those eyewitness statements yeah. either. So I reckon we rule out Richard Floyd McCoy. Yeah. I mean, again, though, pretty cool name. So, yeah. And still, and still a very cool story. Yeah. How about we get into Richard Raxtraw, Jimmy? Do you want to talk about Richard? Because this is one that we argued about a little yeah. bit. Yeah, so I reckon this is the guy most likely to be uh, D.B. Cooper. I think just a lot of things match up. Look, he's probably not, but it's fun to think that this guy could be him just because a lot of things that he's done and uh, his history really seem to link up with something that a person who was D.B. Cooper could could be. So... He was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. Check. Check. Um, knew how to deal with explosives. Check. Double check. Um, and actually, before we go on, in later, FBI did release some uh, uh, information which could have led to the fact that they thought he was the guy. Not that they arrested him or anything, but this was the one who they thought could be him. So I like the sound of that so far. Um, he was described as a used car salesman with uh, charisma to burn. This guy sounds like a legend. Um, and he, But unfortunately, he had a pretty big history with crime as well, which again... Yeah, career w- criminal, fits the bill. Yeah, like, yeah. leads me to think that hijacking a plane wouldn't be too far out of his uh, stream. So, again, another really cool reason why I think he was DB. He also... Um, looked like D.B. Cooper from from the pictures. Well, he had a similar look about him, which I think, again, leads me to the fact that I think he could be D.B. Cooper. What what, what do you reckon so far, Clint? Like, there are a lot of things that do lead me there. Playing devil's advocate, he was initially, like, ruled out with the investigation in the 70s, Um, partly because, like, witnesses must have saw photos of him and go, I'm not sure if that's the guy. And also, he was only, like, 28 in 1971, which wouldn't have fit that motif of being in his 40s. But, you know, we all know people that look older or younger. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i 30, but I reckon I look at least look 35 with a beard. So, yeah. Um, again, I don't know that's necessarily a thing to say he's not because I've seen people who look older or younger than what they are. So I wouldn't rule that out as a reason to say not. And also... You're relying on people who maybe or maybe not think that he looks like him as where other people might have said yes. So um, I think he... I'm not saying he is D.B. Cooper, but I reckon a lot of things line up with the fact that he is. And he also got interviewed by a journalist where he was asked the question, are you uh, a D.B. Cooper? And he, he, he neither confirmed nor said he wasn't. But well, if he said, I wouldn't discount myself yeah. when asked the question. Yeah, so I mean, perhaps... He was again. He did. He did say later that he was just trying to like rev up the journalists. But yeah. um, again, maybe that's what you'd say if you were actually DB Cooper. And this guy's a long time suspect. Like yeah. apparently, this actually had a big impact on his personal life. Yeah. Because there were about forty five years of him being alive where people thought he was probably DB Cooper. So he had to like live this life of being accused. And again, a devil's advocate. Like maybe he was getting sick of us, getting asked the question. Yeah, perhaps, like yeah. That. Again, we'll never probably know, yeah. but I like to think that he was the guy and perhaps he got away with it and lived a pretty cool life up until the years where he was being uh, said that he was uh, DB. Yeah, one thing I found interesting was this journalist, um, Thomas Colbert from the Washington Post, pretty reputable source. Yeah. 
he ended up putting a bit of a team together, like 40 people, including some old FBI investigators. They had a really good look at the case in, I think, like 2012 or 13. Yeah. Um, and from their investigation, they kind of said, yep, this is our guy. They yep. passed it on to the FBI. Um, and they reported that the FBI sort of didn't seem that concerned with their yep. findings. Colbert, the the journalist, reckoned they were a bit embarrassed or yeah. ashamed that they hadn't cracked the case. Yeah. Again, like, it's... He's a strong... Yeah. In my, in my opinion, he's strong. I don't know if he's certain. I mean, and at this point, though, he's done the crime so many years ago. What, what are you going to do? You're going to put him in jail for, like, five years until he dies. Like, at this point, what's the point of even saying who he is? if you can save yourself uh, a bit of uh, embarrassment from not being able to find this guy for 45 years. Yeah. So moving on from Rackstraw, um, we've got Lynn Doyle Cooper or LD Cooper, which is very similar, yeah. I think, in initial to DB Cooper, who was a leather worker whose family um, are convinced that yeah. he was DB Cooper. According to his niece, Maria, um, who was, he went into hijack, into hiding about the same time that the hijacking took place. Never a good sign. Yeah. Um, Maria recalled seeing him arrive at her grandmother's home when she was younger um, on Thanksgiving Day in 1971 in Oregon. So, you know, where the plane took off initially. Um, in a blood-soaked shirt, sort of muttering about um, hijacking a plane and how the family's financial concerns are over. Yeah. Um, this is the only account that sort of leads to it, but miraculously Maria took an FBI polygraph test regarding that statement and passed with flying colours. Yeah. Again, like, I think we all know people that are convinced of things that whether or not they're true the or truth. not. Yeah. And obviously it's, I mean, it's been known that you can pass a polygraph. Yeah. Whether she was capable of that, we don't know, but if she truly believed that L.D. Cooper was, in fact, D.B. Cooper, then it's reason enough to think that she could pass it. So if she truly believed it, then, yeah, it's very. it could be very possible that she passed it with flying colours. Yeah, so it's an interesting story. Apart from this account having a very similar name, which, you know, knowing how slick D.B. Cooper was, I don't yeah. think would use a name as similar. Exactly, and I, and I don't think the real D.B. Cooper would come home in a blood-soaked shirt either. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm not convinced on L.D. No. Yeah. Um... One that I do like, though, Dwayne Webber. Yeah. So Dwayne was an insurance salesman who was married in 1978, so about uh, seven years later, um, to a lovely lady named Joe. Joe didn't know much about his past, and when Dwayne died in 1995, on his deathbed, uh, his wife reported that his final words to her were, I am Dan Cooper. At the time, Joe didn't even know the story of yeah. Debbie Cooper. She must have slept through the 70s or something <laughs> like that and missed out on all of this. She looked into it a little bit, like, who's this Dan Cooper? Yeah. Um, and then she started looking at her husband's history yeah. prior to being with her, found a bunch of fake ID cards, found out that he'd served some time in prison. He was a bit of a career criminal yeah. before he met her. He loved chain-smoking and drinking bourbon and sodas. I mean, to be fair, it's the 70s. Everyone chain-smoked and drank bourbon, I think. Yeah, apparently had a limp all his life. And he, Interesting. He would tell people he wrecked his knee jumping out of a, a plane. Yeah. Um, which, again, I think is, is kind of interesting. 
Um, and also, apparently, Weber also vacationed along this river in Washington in 1979. Now, this doesn't sound like much, but in 1980, about four months after he vacationed in this area, a duffel bag with $5,800 in $20 bills, all matching the serial numbers of the bills taken by D.B. Cooper, because obviously if you give ransom money, you know the serial numbers so you can trace the cash. Yeah, being tracked. Anywhere. Um, But a boy basically found this along the riverbank. Yeah. Um, I think, like, this money being found there, like, it's eight eight to nine years yeah. after the crime. Apparently it was slightly buried. Yeah. I don't believe that it was sitting there. I don't know how, how a duffel bag full of cash can sit there safely for, like, yeah. nine years along a riverbank. Especially, yeah, near a river, you'd imagine, like, with flooding and stuff. And also, I just don't think D.B. Cooper's that sloppy. No. Like... I don't think he's a guy to leave ID cards around. I don't think he's a guy to say, I am Dan Cooper. I'm like, and his name wasn't Dan Cooper. Yeah. So it was an alias. So therefore, why would he say, I am Dan Cooper, which was a fake name to begin with? Like, look, again, could be DB Cooper. We don't know. But it just seems a little bit sloppy for a guy who was so meticulous in planning the greatest hijacking of all time. You know what? I reckon he's financially stable and he's... Rolling them off the scent, yeah. almost. Like, he could have left it there. Yeah. This is like, I don't know, I got well, into this Also, one. maybe he just wanted to mess with his wife. You know what? Let's throw a little... Maybe uh, he's going to leave his wife yeah. and he's hiding some cash yeah. to come back to later. Just a spanner in the works as I die. I'm D.B. Yeah. Cooper. So not the most honest guy, but one that's interesting, and I guess, like, never really became an FBI sub-suspect because once... This sort of started coming up. Yeah. He was already dead. Yeah. So they didn't really look into it exactly. too much. Um, but yeah, I like I liked Wayne Weber. Um the other one, and this is a very interesting one. Yeah. Uh Barb Dayton. Um born Robert Dayton. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So Barb transitioned into a woman in nineteen sixty-nine. Um not easy, I would imagine, to do that in nineteen sixty-nine. Yeah. Both like the medical side of it, but then also I don't think people were that open to uh, people transitioning in 1969 either. Yeah, and it was the first person to uh, do gender um, surgery in Washington State um, ever. Yeah. So Barb was a pioneer. Um, Barb was also a recreational pilot and skydiver. Tick, tick. Yeah. Also, um, you know, Barb was actually serving in the US Marines during World War II. Tick. Yeah. Um, Barb had worked at an explosive factory Tick. at one point and had applied for a commercial licence um, to fly planes. Um, at this time, people were not very accepting, no. probably discrimination reasons, so the, um, applied for this commercial pilot's licence post-transition uh, Yep. Um, at a time where probably this wasn't... Um, the most accepted thing. No, I wouldn't imagine so. What's a good way to get back at the airline industry if they knock you back from your dream? Um, I mean, the best way to get back at them is to probably hijack a plane and uh, steal $200,000. Yeah, so this is why I I, I like Barb's motive here. Yeah. um, And the expertise. We talk about the pilot, like the history with airlines, the um, explosives all of that sort of stuff. So the motive and expertise are there 
to get back at the industry and the government that may not have been very accepting towards no. her. Yeah, exactly right. Apparently also Barb visually matched the description. Um, Barb's family, when the composite sketch came out, yep. thought dead ringer. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, um, you know, so, like was a, a, ma- a male, so obviously still had like some masculine features yep. and things like that, um, similar to what D.B. Cooper's composite sketch looked like. Um, and from here, her family was convinced yeah. that she was D.B. Cooper as well. Um they also thought that she had the knowledge and and the daring nature. Yeah, well, I mean, usually, uh, um, uh, like in the army, the Marines are the more risk taking side of uh, the armed forces, especially back during the Second World War. They were seen as like this crazy bunch of people, like known to be like, oh, they're ex criminals and whatnot. So, like, it wouldn't have been out of uh, character um, for. Barb to do something like this had she been a a Marine during the Second World War. Yeah. So there are several other stories out there. I reckon we could probably do a three-hour podcast on all the ones that are out there. Easily. It would be... There's Everyone's got, (laughs) like, every time you read one, you're like, oh, this might be... This might be the person. Um, so we're not going to talk about all of them. Um, we'll be here all day, but we think the ones we've talked about are the main players. Yeah, and I think especially uh, 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 Rack, Straw and Dayton, I think, are the two main ones. Yeah. Uh, I think either one of those could 100% be D.B. Cooper. But then again, we haven't looked into all of them, so we don't really know. Yeah, I think the ones we can safely rule out are Richard Floyd McCoy and L.D. Cooper. Yeah, agreed. Don't like either of those. Personally, I like Dwayne Webber yep. as a suspect. Um, and, like, you know, he died in 1995, so we'll never know. Yeah. Um, and, I, again, Barb Dayton dying in 2002, we'll never know. I'm not convinced on one suspect. What about you? If you had to say right here, right now, who's D.B. Cooper? Or is, is D.B. Cooper alive? You know what I want to say, actually, after reading through all of it? I think Barb Dayton... Is 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 DB? Wow, gotcha, I, on Barb. I I think just the there's two like again like I thought like uh, Rackstraw lined up with a lot, but I mean it's just there. It's so hard to pick. I mean, look, I don't think that DB Cooper's alive now. I think DB Cooper probably died a while ago. But um, if he was alive and he's listening to this podcast, you're a genius. Yeah, absolutely. If you're ninety something and you can figure out how to listen to podcasts, <laughs> yeah, genius. Yeah, and please listen to this one. Yeah, yeah. I've got to agree with you. I reckon. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot about Rackstraw. There's, but I reckon Barb's got the motive. Yeah. Barb's got like the hiding in plain sight yeah. as a woman. Like, no one's looking for a lady. Exactly as a right. Suspect. And also, like, like uh, when Barb transitioned, everyone would have just not even counted her as a suspect. They were like, oh, nah, she's just a weirdo. Uh, so I think, um, yeah, Barb Dayton all the way. Rackstraw obviously could could be it, but I think Barb's got more of a motive yeah. to actually commit the crime as where uh, Rackstraw was just a criminal, as where Barb's been wronged and she's got vengeance in her heart and she, she wants to make these people pay. And, God, I hope she did. Yeah. Yeah, like, I hope she made them pay. Like, that'd be like... I think... With D.B. Cooper in pop culture, I don't think there's anyone that hopes, like, maybe if you're an FBI investigator or something like that or you worked at the airline, 
But I think everyone else wanted them to get away with it. Yeah, I think so. And if you got away with it after sticking it to them for discrimination, like that's, that's right. Awesome. Love that. Um, let's get on to D.B. Cooper in pop culture, sort of sum up the legacy, Yeah, I suppose. The FBI continued to receive tips, um, still does continue yeah. to receive tips, but they pretty much closed their official investigation in 2016. Yeah, so, so what's that, like, four 45 years? years? Yeah. On from the event. And really only close to four years ago, which, I mean, 2016, not that long ago. Yeah, apparently they, their, their official statement is that the resources can be best used on another case. Like, can you imagine, um, like, the money that was taken yeah. would pale in comparison to the amount of resources that they put towards Ex- this? Exactly. Sounds like they put it in the too hard basket, to be honest. I think, yeah. I mean, <laughs> giving up after 45 years, it's it shows you've had a crack. Yeah. Um, but again, I still hope they just missed the, um, the obvious ones in that. The story captured people's imagination. We talked about copycat sort of style hijackings. Um, and people love the story, Jimmy. Yeah. Look, it's been in heaps of different TV shows and movies. Uh, Prison Break is one. I don't know if you've seen that, but, uh, D.B. Cooper comes up in that. Um, the Blacklist, which is a, uh, a, a TV show as well, as well as movies such as uh, Without a Paddle, which is uh, more of like a, a, a funny take on what uh, D.B. Cooper, who, who he was. So, look, there's plenty of things in pop culture, and if you want, have you seen any of these or you want to watch them, they're all worth a watch and uh, intriguing. Yeah, episodes are like 30 Rock and Drunk History, and I think, like, was the whole premise of Without a Paddle to, like, find the money? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so the whole point was, like, uh, there's, like, a treasure. Who who was D.B. Cooper? Can we find his treasure? And maybe find him as well. So it was all... it was, And there was, like, a... Where are all, all these friends that we've grown up with? The story of D.B. Cooper, and we want to go seek him out. Yeah, I want to watch that over the school holidays yes. now. Um, there's also in... This year, I think, recently came out, and I don't know if we've... We've accidentally timed it. HBO did a doco about some of the main suspects that, um, some of them that we've talked about yep. as well in this app. I haven't watched it, but I did see the trailer while doing some research and it looked pretty cool. So check that out if yeah, you're for interested sure. as well. I think it actually in the trailer had, um, Joe, the wife of Dwayne Webber yep. talking about that deathbed confession and things like that. So it was, it was quite cool. So check that out. Um, I think we'll kind of finish on, there's, like we said, there's a lot of movies. There's also books and songs. There's like yeah. I found there's about five different songs yeah. about D.B. Cooper, but this one had some lyrics that I thought summed it up really nicely um, before we sort of fade out um, back into school holiday mode. So the song, Ballad of D.B. Cooper, has the lyrics, Whoever D.B. Cooper was, today is still a mystery. The only unsolved skyjacking in aviation history. No one's ever tried to claim the very large reward. No one's ever seen him since he bailed out the door. Divers search the river every summer still for an article of clothing or a $20 bill, a briefcase or a wallet with some kind of ID to determine who this D.V. Cooper might actually be. Truly beautiful, Clint. Truly beautiful. Well, I think that uh, brings an end to uh, episode 13. I've been Jimmy D. Yeah, and I'm Mr. B. Stay curious. Stay cheeky. Thank you. Thank you.